It's the Paddlewoo Podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Paddlewoo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is Hans Wagner. Hans is the head of the ESSC contest series here on the East Coast. And this weekend, with the incredible winter swell that we have coming, Hans has called on the contest for next Saturday. I believe that's March 10th. So if you're on the East Coast, make sure you check out the ESSC page on Facebook and come on down to the contest, whether you're going to surf or if you just want to come check it out. The waves should be incredible, and um, it's going to be a great event. We don't know exactly where it's going to run yet, uh, so stay tuned uh, because the call will be made uh, for conditions uh, a couple days before the event. So really be checking Wednesday and Thursday. Blue Zone SUP, the camp that uh, Chase Costalitz, Oscar Diaz, and I run down in Nosara, Costa Rica, is one of the main sponsors for the event. We are donating two week stays for the men's and women's overall open champions. Um, so Whoever's winning the event is going to get to come down and hang out for two weeks uh, covered by Blue Zone. We're sponsoring the event. That's our. That's what we're donating there. So it's going to be incredible. Uh, two weeks, all the media, photos, videos, uh, coaching, if, uh, if you want to work with Chase, uh, down in Nosara, Costa Rica. So it's going to be pretty cool. The big news that I've got right now, which I'm super pumped on, is that the boards that I've been working on, Portal, if you haven't checked that out yet, portalsurfdesigns.com, uh, and the model, the Bara, which has been seven months in testing right now, is uh, has just been released for kind of the public. I started taking orders a couple months ago right after we dropped those videos in January, and 11 boards came out this week in our new Enegra construction, and they look amazing. I've been surfing them for the last few days. They came out Monday, and uh, they're they're, they're really good. So if you haven't checked that out yet, check out portalsurfdesigns.com. The Barra model is available. I've got two prototypes in testing right now. Um, some fun news coming uh, over the next week on those prototypes and some people that will be riding them. Yeah, so stay tuned for that news and, and check it out. So bluezonesup.com. Uh, if you're looking to go to Costa Rica and uh, if you want to check out the boards we're doing, check out Portal Surf Designs. Okay, without further ado, let's jump in with Hans Wagner. Hans, thanks for being on the Paddlepoo podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Eric. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited to talk more about the upcoming contest and swell and uh, everything coming together. So let's get it going. Yeah, man. Well, let's start there. Let's start with the contest series that you run here on the East Coast in Florida. Uh, and give me some background because I just moved to the area and I know uh, Mike McGann told me we should connect a while back and now we're doing that. So fill me in on what you've been up to these last few years. Good deal. Yeah. So Mike McGann, actually, uh, he and I came together about eight years ago at a paddleboard race in Stewart. And it was after the race when we looked at each other and we said, hold on one, hold on one second. I'm assuming everyone knows Mike McGann here. Mike McGann is the owner of 27 North Paddles, paddles that I love. You can get a discount code still um, by using PaddleWoo to get, I think it's uh, 20% off those paddles if you guys want to do that. I love the Inegra paddle. but uh, So Mike McGann owns 27 North, and he's also huge in the paddle surfing scene in Florida, really helping to push the sport. So if you guys didn't have that background, now you have it. All right, so, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, there you go. That, and I'm glad you did that because I probably would have skipped right over that and everyone would have been saying, who's Mike McGann? Well, yeah, he, he is a, he's been a very integral part in this whole contest series. And, and, and I was saying after the race, we looked at each other and said, you know, racing's not really for us, but surfing is. And the sport of stand-up paddle surfing, that was in 2010, had just really kind of started in our area and no one was doing it. Uh, Mike and I had some boards and he was running a business and I was running a business of lessons and tours and retail. And, and we just looked at each other and said, you know, we need a, we need an event that is specific for stand up paddle surfing and does it the right way. Um, we, we are all surfers and surf many different types of boards, but 
let's do something that doesn't allow any other kind of serving other than stand-up. So we launched our first event in 2010, and that was the year that, and actually God's timing, I mean, that was literally the same weekend that Hurricane Irene cruised up the coast about 100 miles off our, our shore and, uh, and gave us an unbelievable one-day, it was a two-day swell, hit Friday, but our contest was on Saturday. We had six to eight foot straight offshore all day long for our first event, and it was unbelievable. I mean, guys at that time were, the small board was like a 9.6, 9.8, and guys were dropping in and trying to get barreled and, and running running long closeouts and running big open shoulders. And it was just so much fun that at the end of the day, everyone was exhausted and just completely worn out from paddling in those conditions. And we, and we said, okay, it, it begins. Here we go. And following that year, we, we just, we upped it right away. We went to a three leg tour. And then the following year after that, we went to a five leg tour and it's really just been a, neat evolution uh from day one watching the sport unfold in in a very aggressive competitive scene and here we are today going to our seventh our seventh year and i'm uh, really excited about what what's uh what's coming hopefully next weekend yeah i mean the swell <clears throat> i've never seen i can't remember seeing anything like that on the forecast for florida that's like it's a hawaii forecast <laughs> if you look at it I'm looking at the buoy readings it's going to be I think 16 feet at 16 seconds next Wednesday and Thursday in Central Florida. That's out of hand. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like on our beach. I know a lot of our beach breaks can't handle that, and it'll just be a giant closeout. But there are some spots, outer, a little outer reef on sandbars and you know Monster Hole and Boynton Inlet. And um, I know up towards uh, Playa Linda, north of the Cape, there's some, there's some spots that can handle longer period like that. So... Um, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch and hopefully we can all get out there during the week and see what we can see what we can figure out here. And then I know I just looked at it before, before we, before I picked up the call, uh, next Saturday, the updated forecast looks like still a good six to eight foot swell and, uh, and moderate winds, you know, light, maybe a light Northeast wind at five to eight miles an hour. So I think, I think we're, we're right still in that swell window for, for a good contest. I know in long period swells, we get to surf a little reef break maybe with some really warm water. Yeah, that could be, that could be nice. I like it. That was a nice, a nice little, uh, just throwing it out there. <laughs> Anybody who's surfing the contest who wants warm water, send an email to Hans. Uh, let's move it South for warm water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh so something you touched on there uh when we were starting to talk about this is the separation between paddling and racing how do you see these two sports evolving how they have evolved where they should go i know i have my opinion and um but what's yours you know i i've raced many races around florida and i i really enjoy I, well i used to enjoy it i I'm not, I'm not one to race much. It just, I don't know. It doesn't really fit my personality, but I, I know a lot of surfers that are very into it for training, for training perspectives. And they just enjoy the, the, the cross, the cross training of, of surfing and paddle racing. And so I can't, I'm not going to knock it because it is a great sport, but I, I find that generally we don't have a lot of athletes that are competing in both. Uh, there's maybe a few guys that excel doing it on a, on a racing tour here in Florida and maybe some even guys that travel internationally and, and compete in racing. But we found that for the most part, the majority of our field are specific uh, paddleboard surfers or just prone surfers that, that swap between the two, depending on the conditions. So uh, unfortunately we've run into some, some conflict with uh, multiple events that have overlapped each other and, the challenge with that is, and nobody wants to to overlap events. I mean, we all want as many competitors in, in our sport as, as possible. But when you're dealing with surf conditions, you're only given so many opportunities on weekends when you have optimal conditions. And uh, when, when the swell hits and it's forecasted to hit, we, we have to run with it. And, you know, you're always going to have uh, a handful of people that can't make it due to other obligations. And, and that's unfortunate because, like I said, we want, we want the big deal possible. But um, we, we, used to, we used to schedule contests, put it on the calendar, and just stick to it no matter what. And it seemed more often than not we had 
really challenging conditions with hard wind and marginal swell. And it just really took away from the, the joy factor of a, of a contest. So we, we changed the format a couple of years ago and, and really just kind of opened up a whole month as our window of opportunity. And when we saw the best conditions, we ran with it. And, uh, and unless it just completely falls apart, we, we try to stick to it. So anyway, uh, long, the long version is, um, we're all surfers. We all at the, at the end of an event want the biggest, cleanest swell possible for, con- for a contestable contest. And, and uh, whatever we have to do schedule wise to, to arrange that, that's what, that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that if you look bigger picture, there's been a, almost a war for the sport of paddling. I mean, the, the sport of canoe racing, if you listen to the Larry Kane podcast, we talked about this a little bit. Eric, Eric Logan talks about this as well on his latest show, but, uh, the sport of canoe racing that whatever that organization is wants to put paddle racing, paddle board racing under their uh, bandana. I kind of wish that the surfing side of the sport was actually owned by surfing. And I wish that in the evolution of the sport, it would have stayed that way. I, I, I've come to believe that a big rift between the surfers and paddle surfers, and I'm both. I mean, I've been a surfer my whole life and on any given day, I'll be on any board that's going to be best for conditions. And even when I'm paddle surfing, I throw right. my paddle and probably catch 30% of my waves prone when I'm, when I'm paddling, just cause I enjoy doing that too. But right. I think that if the sport of surfing had, or paddle surfing had been under the kind of the umbrella of surfing through its growth, you wouldn't see the division and lineups that you see now. I think that, uh, and this is something I haven't talked about a whole lot, but I, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I think that in the beginning of the sport, the windsurfing's ability to mass produce boards for paddle surfing paddle boards and paddle surfing and taking ownership of that alienated the surf brands. And so I think that you saw from the top down the money incentives not aligned with surfing. And so I think you saw a push, uh, you saw a pushing out of the sport of paddle surfing um, when it's very natural that it should be under surfing because it's, I mean, it's a beautiful part of surfing. You ever thought about that stuff? Right. Probably not at the level that you just explained, but, um, I, I agree. I mean, I agree a hundred percent, you know, and if you, if you're standing on the beach, I mean, I just look at the simplicity of it. If you're standing on the beach and you watch two people out in the lineup on a, on, on any given day, and one person is on a standard surfboard, whether it's a longboard or a shoreboard, and the person directly next to them is on a stand-up paddleboard. And they both drop in on a wave, and one goes left and one goes right. You're going to watch very similar moves. You're going to watch a bottom turn. You're going to watch a, a top turn, some form of a cutback. Everyone's looking for a barrel. And when they both either peel out or fall or whatever, that was surfing on both ends of that wave. And to try to classify it with another category, and there being rifts and conflicts, and I, I just don't understand. And, and, I don't know. It, it, it has always baffled me. I mean, I, I don't, I think just like anything, I mean, you could get into any, any issue worldwide and is it the object or is the, is it the person using it and the person causing the problem verbally? I mean, I, I think just oftentimes we, we too often fall into wanting to categorize everything. And really all we're doing is just taking something that was really fun and, and healthy and, and, uh, great for everybody which was surfing and we just added another level to it and to me that's what really drew me to the sport was i've been surfing since i was a little kid i mean three generations of surfers in my family and um that's what we did my mom my dad my grand my granddad's what we all did brothers and sisters and well when stand-up paddleboarding came to the scene and i got some boards and just started really experimenting and then dropping in size and realizing that you can do all the same things that you could on a surfboard, but specifically in Florida surf, you could make so much more out of it. Um, yeah, you really sure. got it, got it dialed. I thought, well, shoot, I mean, I'd be a fool to not add a short stand-up paddleboard to my inventory and a long stand-up paddleboard to my inventory, and really not miss any swell year-round because you have you have an option to go out there and perform in it. And so anyway, I I. Um, I don't understand, to be honest with you, the, the conflict and the challenge. I, I think a lot of it just becomes, 
minutia at the end of the day. I mean, and, and it, there's, to me, generally, it's like with any political issue or, or challenge uh, between social parties or whatnot worldwide, I mean, you have a few voices that speak very loud that create conflict, and then everybody else is in the middle just enjoying themselves, whether yep. they're a racer or they're a surfer, they're a regular surfer, I mean, where they're all having a good time, and, and then you have the few that want to, uh, to ruffle feathers, so... Anyway, we're, we're having a good time. Our contest scene has, has grown uh, on the East Coast tremendously. And, um, and on any given contest, I mean, we've seen 30 entries. We've seen, we've seen 85 entries uh, out of nowhere. And it's, it, it just proves that um, a good product results in, in good success. Well, you might have just talked to it right there with that last statement. But why do you think that it has been so difficult to get paddle surfing going on a professional international level? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think, so I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, for, for me running this event over the last seven years, the biggest challenge has been backing and, and funding. Um, it takes, it takes a pretty adequate amount of funding to run a quality event to where people want to be a part on multiple levels. And that's not just entries and, and riders, but that's business sponsors and volunteers and uh, cities and the whole, the whole deal behind putting together an event that everyone benefits from. And that's on a, a smaller level just here in, in central coast and in South coast of, of Florida. When you start looking at larger scale events worldwide, where there's a world tour, it takes like any organization, whether you're looking at an NFL football team or a, a Fortune 500 company, I mean, it takes quality management from the top down, from ownership to CEO to uh, everybody underneath. It takes a, a legitimate amount of, of organization and communication and, and a vision to run a run an event smoothly or run a, run a product smoothly. And if you don't have that and uh, so specifically speaking, world tour wise and international tour wise, if you have too many, let's just say chiefs and not enough Indians and, and, and not a vision of what it's really supposed to be about, then, um, it starts, it starts to get convoluted. And I don't know, I haven't had my finger on the pulse of the world tour and, uh, haven't really followed it to the point where I know that the ins and outs of why it's not working, but, um, I don't understand it because the paddleboard surfing scene, you know, from Hawaii to international waters has exploded. I mean, guys and girls are surfing so well. The product is there. The boards have, have turned into an amazing uh, board that is easy to ride once you learn and easy to surf well once you learn how to do it. That it, it, there shouldn't be a lack of a quality tour. And I know that I know that the competitors are hungry for it. I've heard it, but uh, it just seems like the organization, organizational, organizational mishaps are there uh, from the top down. And I and I I couldn't answer clearly as to why that is. Um, well, I'm not going to dive into that right now. In my thoughts, but one thing that I think <laughs> that should be, I've talked about it a little bit in the past. That I want to bore folks who, who listen, but uh, one thing that I have started to think about more. Uh, is judging criteria. What do you think that the ideal of paddle surfing is? Paddle surfing at its highest form. What should that look like? I believe if you look, if I'm, if I'm sitting under a judge's tent and I watch somebody drop in on a wave, regardless of the wave, and they they perform on a wave the way a great surfer would perform on a wave with a legitimate bottom turn, a legitimate top turn, connecting turns. I mean, you, you have the three criteria that I always talk to our judges to look for, and that's speed, power, and flow. And if you have all those on a wave, but more importantly, are justifying all those turns and maximizing those turns and speed and power and flow with the use of your paddle in a way that it only accelerates you more that is a proper score and that should be scored accordingly. And, um, I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it all in our, in our competitive scene, you know, guys that clearly know how to surf, but don't utilize the paddle properly. And it only hurts them in their efficiency of, of 
of maximizing turns. And then you have other people who know how to generate more speed and power um, off of their turns and balance by utilizing their, their paddle properly. And it, it just goes to show that when you, when you see that, you're watching surfing, but you're also watching a new addition of surfing come into the come into play. And it, it's really a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, there's guys on our tour and in the world tour that, I mean, when you, when you watch them drop in in a wave, you, you really stop what you're doing because you know something special is happening in that, in that 15, 20 second interval there. Why isn't style discussed more along with paddle surfing? I mean, so in my mind, I feel that paddle surfing and I've gone through the gambit, right? Like I, I took paddle surfing as far as I could and smallest boards and radical shortboard surfing. And now I've landed at a place where I think what makes paddle surfing amazing and beautiful. And like I've had this whole like last seven months of being deep down the wormhole in board design, actually trying for this, you know, feeling. And that is that I think that paddle surfing is the perfect blend of longboard mid-length high lines and the ease of speed and then the radical power that can happen. And some at some point, I think that we can't just be, then I'm quoting Kalama here because Kalama said this on the show a long time ago and I didn't get it when he said it, but now I get it. Um, we can't, paddle surfing should not just look like bad shortboarding. And if, if the criteria is that of shortboarding, it will always be seen as substandard shortboarding. But I think that where paddle surfing has an advantage and where, no one will probably agree with me from the surfing world, but um, I think it's the highest form of surfing is that it's the only surfing um, uh, sport where you can decide as you drop in whether or not you want to draw lines like a longboard or whether or not you want to get as radical as a shortboard. And the blending of those two things is, is what is unique to paddle surfing because you can do a turn like a huge Sonny Garcia, you know, look at some of Fisher Grant's turns. I mean, that kid's absolutely incredible. And he's also, I bring up Fisher because he's also the guy that can then, you know, highline longboard, whatever at the same time. Um, do you think that right. it would help our sport to create some separation between paddle surfing and the shortboard world? Um, I, well, I agree with you hundred percent and I, I believe, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up because that is to me the, the number one above anything else, the number one contributor to good surfing is good style. And, and whether you're on a longboard or a shortboard or a paddleboard, I don't care how good you are. If it doesn't flow and you don't have clean style, it doesn't look good. Right. And so, um, and it's pretty easy to make one of the, paddle surfing very ugly. Pa- paddle surfing can probably be oh the ugliest surfing sport when not done <laughs> to those, to, 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 to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that kind of goes back to why there's an issue with it for a lot of people is a lot of people jump on a paddleboard and just go for it and they're dangerous and they look horrible doing it and they go to the worst spot where everyone is at trying to surf and have a good time. And so it's just not safe. It looks funky. And they, and the, 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 uh, the luster of dropping to a short board is in everyone's mind. And so they go short right away. Well, they can't stand on it. So now they look even worse and they're even more dangerous and, it's just a, it's a bad cycle, but, um, I'm with you. I have experienced the desire myself to drop down to the smallest, most radical paddleboard I can ride when the conditions are perfect. And it was fun, but I didn't enjoy it fully until I worked with a guy that shapes boards for me. And we found a model that can be ridden any way. And, uh, and like you said, I mean, on, on one way, if you could, you could lay a rail, you could completely come off the top and lose a couple fins out of the wave, but then milk the rest of the wave with a longboard style and, and walk the nose and arch the back and do all these things that you can't do on any other board. So I, I believe style is a component that when you, you, when you watch the, the, the folks that generally win our competition on a consistent basis, it's because they they flow and they're very smooth and they they may not perform the most explosive turn, but they 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 are able to in a, in a very attractive way 
get the judge to say, oh my gosh, that looked really good because they connected, they used their paddle efficiently, and they, they, they performed and completed multiple turns all the way to the inside, and they looked good doing it. And if you don't have style, and it's choppy, and it's weird, and it doesn't flow, then you're generally not going to consistently score well like you would if you had it if you had the style under your belt um, and 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 I'll, I'll i'll jump one more one more just nugget on that i will um there's a guy that is from south florida and and i don't know him personally but i've, I've served with him a little bit and he's competed in one one or two of the events and um and funny because he's a dominant racer pedalboarder but he's an unbelievable surfer and his name ryan helm and i don't know if you know him or not eric but when you watch him ride a paddleboard he has such a flow to his surfing that um, it just makes you want to watch more. So guys that surf like that and can perform turns on a, on a board, on a wave, but are able to do, to do it with style. I mean, it, it's really a, a beautiful thing to watch. It's truly an art form. Yeah. Ryan Helm is an incredible surfer. Uh, he's, he's got a couple edits that I really enjoy watching. Uh, what board were you referring okay. to? What, who shaped it? And, and what's the board model? Give, give a plug out for whoever that, that model is. Okay. Perfect. I'll make sure he listens to this. Um, yeah. AJ Finnan with Cannibal Cannibal Corvac surfboards, stand-up paddleboards. He uh, has been around. I mean, shoot, I don't know how old that guy is. He looks like he's still 41. But when I was a kid, I was seeing boards in the shop down in Stewart, um, and that was about 25 years ago. So he, he's got something going on with his age. But he makes a, a really, really strong uh, vacuum-bagged, on a Corvac board, and um, the the model that we came up with is it's called a Stinger Sup. And uh, I've seen it. All Tony, that means is my buddy Tony you? Lippy has one. Okay. Yeah, I so I've ridden that yeah, board. Tony. Yep. Yeah, Tony's oh a good my friend. Gosh. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Tony does real well in the competitions. He um, we came up with that. So AJ makes a board called the Fat Fish, and I rode that maybe two or three years ago, and it's a really fun board. But it just seemed to have a little bit more volume in the nose than it was kind of digging when the wave stood up a little bit. So uh, I worked with them and I was like, hey, we need to pull this in and then we need to pull the tail in just a little bit and maybe throw a wing on it and do a swallow tail if you want. But I don't, I don't think any of that really matters. It's really the, the nose and the outline of the Y point being a touch forward and the, uh, and the way that he pinches the rail and then pulls the rail super thin towards the back of the board, um, riding it with a quad. There's a, there's a big double concave all the way through the back of the board. And it just, I'll tell you what, I have ridden a lot of paddleboards, a lot of different models and, and shapes. And, um, I've had some very fun boards that I've been on, but this one here, I'm on my second, second one. I just had one made recently and, um, it, it flows like any board I've ever better than any board I've been on. And then it has still the the drives and, and glide that you look for in a bigger board. But when you go to get it on rail and, and throw a hard bottom turn and release out of the top, I mean, it's all there. And uh, I've had a blast on it. I would highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah. So I was bummed. And we'll have them. We'll have them at the contest. We'll nice. have them at the contest for demo if anybody's interested. Nice. So uh, Tony actually hooked it up, got me a board for two weeks. Just so AJ was, was stoked to, to have me test one. And then it was flat in Florida for two weeks. And so I got to ride it no, t- no. like twice in like two foot, two foot surf, which, uh, which was a bummer, but, uh, bummer. but yeah, yeah, I actually, I'd like to have him on the show at some point to talk, uh, construction. We had a conversation a few weeks back about some of the stuff that he's doing. And, um, with, with what I'm doing right now, there, there might be some sense in doing some testing together, which would be a lot of fun to do. Uh, I also really had cool. his yeah. boards when I was a Grom. So Yeah. Cool, man. Um, so let's, uh, we've gone through the contest scene and what's going on for this weekend. How did you, uh, here's, here's a good one for you. What are your optimal conditions to paddle in? And when do you decide at this point when to pick up the shortboard or the longboard not paddling? Mm -hmm. And how has that changed since you started paddling? Because I know I have a transition in there, like. Um, but it'll be interesting to hear yours. Man, that's a tough one. Um, some of it depends on my work schedule also and what, how many boards I can fit in the car. Uh, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> that, that's how I buy my cars, I man. Say, I, I like to, I like to be able to lock oh, boards in the cars. 
<laughs> Listen, we, we are a family of, of three kids, and I'm the one that drives the minivan, and my wife has the, uh, the smaller SUVs. <laughs> so I, I have the minivan for the board. <laughs> That's awesome. We had, I was the guy who but, was driving the minivan up until about three weeks ago, and I just sold it and bought a truck. Couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. So that's a good question. And that, that unfortunately has been, if there is a downside to adding paddle surfing to your, your life, that's one of the downsides is there's been times, several times where I'm out in the water, I'm thinking, dang it, I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. And when you have four or five good boards in your inventory from surfing to stand up, I mean, it, it plays with you as to really what you need to bring. So that's why you always need to carry two or three with you just in case. Absolutely. So, what determines it? I mean, I would obviously clean conditions is the number one factor. I mean, I don't really generally like to paddle in choppy conditions just because time's sake. I mean, I can catch so many more waves on a, on a, on a small surfboard or a single fin surfboard or something along those lines. Um, if it's clean though, and it's you know it's three foot, four foot, head high, and relatively peaky, that to me, you know, a short eight nine maybe 10 second swell with uh, any kind of either no wind or, or a light Southwest. Those are to me the optimal conditions because you have what you have is an easier platform to paddle on. The the ocean's not bouncing around. There's waves everywhere and you can kind of just, and since we don't have any channels here in Florida or, or really no reef, you can really not battle long period closeouts. You can get out in between waves you can kind of find your spot and see a lot of waves on the horizon early on your stand-up, and uh, it allows you just to more or less be in a in a terrain park of of good peaky waves with a lot of options. I mean, stand-up's harder to navigate your position, and um, if you see a wave over there, you can go get it. But once you're there, you you really need to make your turn to catch the wave and have your paddle on the right the right position at the right time all that needs to happen real quickly in order for you to maximize all the waves so i find that those those shorter period swells where it's clean and kind of peaky are the are the most fun for the stand-up um and the wave count is just ridiculous i mean you can go out for an hour and a half and catch 60 waves and just be completely fried um surfing on my shortboard anything choppy anything weird or crossed up or windy I, I love riding uh you know again the cannibal shortboard or the cannibal bonzer which is kind of a three fin uh channeled out bottom board and you know in like a six five six six um the long board smaller anything you know knee high to, to waist high i'll either pull out the, the stand-up long board or the, or the traditional long board and just go glide and walk the nose and, and trying to get get bring out the style points on that one but I would say the most challenging decision is when it's when it's stomach to shoulder high and it's clean and it's that eight, nine second peaky swell. Then you're really starting to say, okay, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm taking my shortboard. I'm taking my my Bonzer 6.5 surfboard and I'm going to take my paddleboard, my retro or my uh, stinger sump because I know that at any given point, any three of those boards are going to be are going to be a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, I, I would so, agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, it's funny because I tend to, I lived in Costa Rica for 11 years and I really enjoy stand up when the waves are big and you have a big open face and especially faster, bigger surf. I love stand ups there. So it's a lot of folks here in Florida, they, you know, they ride the stand ups when it's not that good and when it's small and then they switch to a shortboard and Sometimes I'm on the opposite side of that. As the waves are getting better, I'm getting more excited about hopping on the stand-up just because yeah. of the speed and power that you can generate. Uh, it's another funny thing about being back yeah. here is that I didn't realize how much you grovel on a shortboard on some of these days. And, you know, mm-hmm. in Costa Rica, I ride probably 29 to 32 liters. And that's a fine shortboard for me generally, you know, 510 to six one, depending on what it is. I have some step-ups too. But uh, here, those boards, right. my short boards, I just can't even get speed. I mean, it's like, it's just a joke. Yeah. So uh, this last couple of months, I've been developing a new board that uh, this latest prototype that'll be done. I should actually have one down at the contest next weekend. Uh, I'm using the yeah. same type of step volume design that I'm using on my standups, which are it's a pretty cool way to 
get a different feeling, but in a 510 shortboard. So I've got this 510 21 shortboard that's coming out at 37 and a half liters and the rails are spot wow. on. So I haven't, I haven't actually ridden it yet, but I was just at the factory this morning checking it out and it's uh fins went in today. I'm so fired up to check this thing out and it'll be ready for the swell next week. So I'm wondering if it's going to hold true wow. to, you know, give me, a, you know, an extra six liters on my shortboard, which should equate to a lot of extra, uh, a wave count and then some extra speed on, on little terrible waves. I, uh, I think I, uh, I think I might need to try that out as well, Eric. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll send you some of the info on it when it's, uh, when it's ready and you'll see it next weekend. It, it's, uh, if it works, it's going to be game changing. And if it doesn't work, it'll just be one of the countless boards that I've done over the last seven months. That's a weird yeah. idea that didn't work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, that's what, that's what has made this sport of not only stand up paddle, but stand up paddle and surf surf design working together is, you know, when I, when I sit down with AJ and we, we start talking board design, a lot of the paddle boards that are working really well nowadays in the surf are just blown up models of his shortboard designs. And mm-hmm. whether it's a traditional shortboard blown up into the blade model, or it's his, his retro or his stinger blown up into, it's really the same outline but just blown up a little bit more. Maybe you play a little bit with the fins or the rail, you know, towards the tail or whatnot. But um, that is what has made stand-up paddle work so well, in my opinion, is really you're just riding a glorified bigger surfboard. And uh, when you when you get it dialed, I mean, you could bounce back and forth between the same model, but plus or minus a couple feet, and you're really not losing out on anything. Um, you're really just gaining a whole other opportunity and more waves and adding another element to it. So that's what, that's, what's really fun about it. So I agree with part of that and I disagree with some of it. I think that, yeah, so, so, so I'll disagree with you here just a second. I think that good shapers and good shapes make the best boards hands down, ride Pat's boards, Pat Rawson, they're great boards where I think the sport is going to evolve. What I'm focused on doing right now is all volume is not created equally. And there are better ways to distribute volume, to distribute swing weight that optimize. It's not the same. You're not. So, so general surfboard blowing it up solves the problem of volume and surfing, but it's taking on the problems in the same way. And I think that you need to separate the two problems. So you have a volume issue. You have to hit a certain amount of leaders to be able to comfortable, comfortably paddle. And then you have to figure out how to distribute that volume in the way that's going to allow the surfboard to work the best. Um, and so that's where I'm starting to bunch all the volume to the center of these boards and, and change the rails. And I think there's going to be even, I think there's a, a couple ideas that, you know, I'll be testing over the next couple of months, but there, I think the boards are going to start to look less like surfboards, even though the function will be better and they'll feel more like surfboards, um, which has been fun mm, to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I agree and it, and I like the step, the step up or step down rail. I mean, when you, whether you really pinch the rail and have a, a really hard angle or you step it, put a little step there. I mean, uh, a, a sharp rail is, can either make or break, you know, too sharp, you're digging too full and you're slow, but that optimal rail, when, when you figure that out as a shaper, I mean, that's what really allows these boards to, uh, to accelerate and perform, perform well on waves. And that's been a hard thing. I mean, that's why, the overseas boards, they just, I don't know, in my opinion, what's the point? You know, you're buying a board that you, it's from overseas. And when you can work with a shaper and, and, uh, and talk about your level and have that shaper then explain to you why they think this is important and you can work on it together and, and, and feel it and see it and, and try a few. I mean, the boards are expensive, so you can't just keep turning and burning. But um, if you can, if you're able to work, with somebody and and get connected on what works for you and what rails work i mean that that's really the challenge that i've i've seen shapers struggle with i'm a big fan of anyone helping to push the f- sport forward from a design perspective and you know guys like kirk right. mcginty like i'm a huge fan of kirk like i've got a couple of his boards and I'll, I'll probably have more of them uh he's he's a big inspiration and you know like i've gotten to spend a lot of time with pat rawson and and love what he's doing as well i am starting to have less and less love for the windsurf companies that dabble in stand up. And it's, it's not just about, 
I mean, their boards, you, you can't argue with the quality of a JP or a starboard. I mean, I've always had one of those in my quiver and it's the board I take out when I think I might break a board I love. <laughs> um, you know, but what bothers me about those, uh, those companies is the, 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 how they're forced in their production because they only really do production boards. And, you know, if you listen to the Giorgio Gomez podcast, I think that the podcast he did, he either knew he was leaving Starboard or that podcast got him off Starboard because he was so candid about the, you know, how, how those things happen and like the lack of design. And, um, and I know Sean's pushing things and I think that Sean and, and, and I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Zane too. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to separate the conglomerate from the people that I think are actually great in those. And, you know, Kiahi at JP is great sure. too. But when you're releasing one model a sure. year and you have to kind of decide a year ahead of time what that model is going to be, that's kind of like making a Honda Accord instead of someone who's, you know, in there every day trying to create something that's uh, continually progressing. Uh, and the, and, and the whole, the whole, you know, mantras is progression. And so I don't know. I'm not sure if, if those companies are really helping the sport, you know, and I like what Dave Bainey's doing too at affinity. He's pushing that, even though he's starting to walk that line of production right now. Um, because he's grown to a certain extent, but he's still, he's still riding all his own customs. And I think if you're going to get an infinity order a custom, I think that, you know, like those boards are, are good. I've had a bunch. Um, but I don't like the carbon board so much. Um, and I hope that they don't hate me for saying that, but, I'm saying I like your boards, so don't hate me. Um, so anyways. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a, unfortunately, I mean, you could look at any product uh, in, in any sport, and unfortunately, it always has to come down to someone needing to make money, which that's the world we live in. I get it. But um, I've always found that surfing, there's something so much more genuine and I guess the word, the cheesy word is pure about surfing. And I, I feel, you know, I've, I've shaped my own boards. I've made them start to finish uh, surfboards and didn't really know what I was doing, but I did it. And I took them out and wrote them and they were horrible. I mean, you, you couldn't have sold it for $50, but actually I did sell one for more than $50, which is cool. <laughs> but I, uh, taking them out and riding them, they feel funky and weird, but you made it. And when you're out there riding your own creation um, from a product, I guess I, I kind of come from that, that craftsman background. There's something really enjoyable about that. And it, it has the same feel when you know someone else made it and you worked with them and you designed it and you picked out the colors and the fin box and you did the whole thing. And being able to, to work on that, it's, uh, it's almost like you have a built-in trainer and a built-in coach. I mean, you guys are can, in the sport you love to do. When you get to do it, it's nice to be able to have a product that, you were part of the design of, and, uh, you know, we don't really live in that society. I mean, um, production's a big deal for, for any sporting company and, and surfing is no different. Paddle surfing is no different. So it's neat to me when guys like, uh, AJ and Stu Sharp and yourself, Eric, and, uh, you know, whoever Mike McGann, I mean, a lot of these local guys, Dave out in California, I mean, when they can, when they can work with, the community and have people that are performing well and committed to the sport, helping them give feedback and, and make changes to, to better the product. And, and really all we're doing is we're out there just having a good time. And we'd love to dig into the sport and, and make better product along the way, because why not? We can do it, you know? So, um, it's fun. It's fun to be a part of. And I never knew that was possible. You know, when I was a kid. I just took, whatever board I found and where my parents decided to buy at a garage sale and fins didn't matter if it had fins, I was happy. And, you know, nowadays you're, we're all working rails and concaves and, you know, fin boxes and how many channels and blah, blah, blah. And it, it gets a little out of control, but it's a lot of fun to be a part of. It's amazing to be a part of. And where I think the line for me is, is whether or not a board has, you know, I mean, such a overused term, but soul and, there's a lot of boards that I have that I would sell and never think about again. And then there are boards that you couldn't buy off of me. You know, like I have a custom Rawson. Right. Um, it's a 610, uh, kind of like a, it's not, a, it's not a stand up. It's a kind of like a gun thing. And yeah, I wouldn't sell that board. Some of the sessions I had on that board and knowing that Pat shaped it and I have a Takayama mid length yep. that 
I wouldn't sell for anything. And that's what stand up yep. needs. I, I don't feel like there's a lot of a lot of people that are that feel that way about their stand ups, and especially not about a, a mass produced board. I don't think anyone feels that way. Yeah, I think we're still young. I mean, it you know, if you look at it, we're we're really only I mean, I know Hawaii and California kind of had a jump on things. Um, but I mean, I would say in the last 10 years, maybe maybe 15, but really 10 years this sport became pretty known and mainstream and you know, you look at surfing, I mean, it's been around for how oh, shoot, 70, 80 years like on a on a pretty aggressive take and uh I just don't think there's been enough time yet to I mean, for the first five years, the boards were a joke. They were all 10 foot and heavy and no handle. And you, you couldn't do anything on it except kill people. And, and now <laughs> in the last three, three or four years, the, the, the progression has just gone out of control. I mean, even, even the longer boards, you know, I have a long board shaped by AJ that, I mean, it's, it's a paddle board, but you can, you can ride it in any condition, swell condition, and, and with all the style, you can actually, I mean, anything you want to do on it, you can do, but it's a paddleboard. And so I think in, in another 15 years, unfortunately, it's going to take a while. Then we're going to have some old boards that people are still going to have in their inventory. They're still riding well. They're not going to want to get rid of. They're worth money because they're considered a little bit more of a collectible. But um, it's going to take a while to get there. And uh, it'll, there's, there's still a lot still a lot to learn. I mean, you're, you're learning and you're right in the you're right in the midst of it with, with board design. So I think yeah. we still have a long way to go and it's going to be uh, interesting to see how, I, how that takes shape. Uh, for sure. Um, all right, let's change topics a bit. Let's talk about traveling. Uh, where, where have you gone? What are your favorite places to surf stand up? Well, um, I'm going to, unfortunately I haven't really traveled much on a, with a paddleboard to surf, uh, I have been all over the world to surf. Uh, when we were kids, my parents were missionaries, and so we, we traveled quite a bit, and I wasn't really surfing when I was a kid, but that just kind of put it into my mind that that's just what you do. You, you, you travel. And so right away in high school and college, I mean, I was all over Central America, Nica, Costa Rica, and Panama, and El Salvador. And then my family, my sister and her, her husband and family, they live on the North Shore of Oahu, so I've been out there many times to surf all over the North shore and obviously love it out there. And, uh, France, Spain have had some really good sessions in um, San Sebastian and, and Biarritz area in France. And, uh, and I just, I love the East coast, you know, Hatteras, um, Sebastian Inlet, Spanish house. I mean, these spots are, are golden to me. I'm, I'm from Stewart originally. So grew up surfing down there and the power plant and the rocks. And so there's a lot of good spots locally, but, you know, to me, I would say if I had to choose, I mean, I've never been over to, to Indo in the South Pacific, but if I had to choose a trip right here, right now, I just send me down to anywhere Central America and I'm good to go. Um, I'll take two or three boards with me. I'll take a, a stand up and a short board and maybe another one of, of either one and then go and, and I'll, I'll be good to go. There's, there's plenty of waves. They, they have just about, and any country down there, the coastline can offer uh, any swell and surf condition you could possibly want any, any time of year. So I really, I really love it down there. Nice. Well, you should get in on a trip with us at some point. We run blue zone SUP down in Nosara, Costa Rica. And, um, we, you know, we still have the house down there. And so we're bouncing back and forth all the time. It's a, it's a, yeah. Deal. Right. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I wanted to do, I think you and I talked about this through email maybe last year or the year before, but I really wanted to um, put together some type of a package where our, the winners of respective divisions kind of get a, a, a deal. I'm just kind of throwing you out there right now, but maybe get a, like, a quick stay at your place. And you know, oh. we do plane tickets. Somehow we work, at, work together plane tickets, but just kind of get an opportunity to go down to your, your deal there and, and surf and, and enjoy – the fruits of all that. And, uh, so I don't know how that I mean, works right now. Like, we're so, kind of late in the game, but no, no, that's fine. Let, let's do it. So I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to sponsor that. I, I like what you guys are doing. So that'd be fun. Yeah, no, that would, I, let's talk more about it. And, um, I, I think it's something we can, we can throw into the mix at any time. And, uh, I think that'd be a really cool thing. All right, man. Well, I've wasted enough of your time here. We truly appreciate it. Anything you want to leave folks with? 
Um, well, I guess one more plug for next Saturday. Again, we're, we're running at this point. The contest is a go for next Saturday, March 10th. Uh, it's a 100% stand-up paddleboard surfing competition. We've got divisions from kind of men's pro, women's pro, open divisions, and then uh, 40 and up, 50, 50 and up, which is an open division for men and women, and then a, a classic longboard stand-up paddle, but longboard more surfing uh, division. So five different divisions. You can enter as many as you'd like, um, and it's going to be – it looks like we have a – with the swell that's coming, it's going to be a really, really – fun day a challenging day but that's that's it's proven to be uh given us good results in the last few years when we when we hold it in challenging conditions and we will announce on facebook throughout this week and all next week updates of, of exact location to be determined whether it's melbourne beach or walton rocks down in st Lucie. so stay tuned love to have you out there if you don't know what you're doing that's okay a lot of the guys and girls that compete now didn't know what they were doing and they came out anyway and they got suckered into signing up and now they're they're regulars and they love it so uh please come out enjoy support the people that are uh putting in the time and the effort to to make this sport make this sport great again ha there you go uh and so folks generally (laughs) listen to these podcasts for a long time when will the next contest be if uh if they listen to this one next month and this is already over when's the next event i would that's a good question we're we're going to try to spread it out a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe a month or so, but we're, we're 100% dependent on being able to determine when a good swell is going to hit on the weekend. And that's hard to do in Florida. So I would just say, if we are able to get this contest off next Saturday, be on the lookout for at any point in time, it won't be the following weekend, but at any point in time, a, another contest announced and we we try at minimum to get everybody at least a week's notice. But, um, you know, if we see optimal conditions for us are, are head high minimum and anything bigger, uh, and relatively clean winds, um, if we have a light wind and, and with, with a, a solid swell of shoulder head high minimum, then we're going to, we're going to look to run it because like I said, that doesn't happen too often on the weekend. So, um, I think we have a couple more months uh, until we get to through May really is when it really starts to go flat. So, and how we many events this year? In, uh, probably just two, I would say. If it if it goes well smoothly and and we're able to get the second one in relatively quickly, then we then we'll run another one. But uh, once we hit May, if we haven't been able, if we finish the second one by then, I, I don't know if a third one will happen. But it could. I mean, we don't we don't really have a set schedule, and it's more of a a grassroots. Let's all get together and and push each other hard. But uh, it, it's kind of open for open for discussion throughout the year. So we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be a part of it. Can't wait to get down there. Just hope that the swell cooperates. We get some nice offshore winds and incredible day yeah. of surfing in Florida. That's right. Eric, Amen. thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. It's the Paddle Podcast.